Broadcasting live from an empty hotel, this is The Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Ty and I'm joined by my daughters of darkness, Mila, Louisa, and Zeba. And to celebrate Pride, we're going to be covering the gayest of all horror themes, vampires. Before we get into the film, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or the Apple Podcast app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast. This month, we are going to be talking about the 1971 film Daughters of Darkness, directed by Harry Kumil, the 2002 film Queen of the Damned, directed by Michael Reimer, and the 2008 film Let the Right One In, directed by Thomas Alfredson. Our bonus episode will cover the new Netflix series First Kill, so go pledge so you can listen to our thoughts on the new series. This month's theme is also our season finale, so thank you so much for listening over the past season. After a short break in July, we will resume in August to kick off season three, and trust me, you're going to want to tune in. Our first vampire film is the Belgian erotic horror film, Daughters of Darkness. In this film, young newlyweds Stefan and Valerie check into an empty hotel on the seaside in Belgium. They are travelling so that Stefan can introduce his new bride to his mother, though he keeps deliberately putting off this encounter, fearing his mother's disapproval. Shortly after they arrive, the beautiful yet mysterious Hungarian countess, Elizabeth Battery, arrives, much to the shock of the middle-aged concierge who recognises her from his childhood but claims she has not aged. Battery is travelling with another beautiful woman, Iona. Over the course of their stay, the countess becomes more and more involved in their relationship, which rouses Iona's jealousy. Gradually, Stefan becomes more and more aggressive towards Valerie, an urge which is seemingly awakened by the news of numerous femicides in town. Soon Valerie is torn between her sadomasochistic husband and the alluring yet manipulative vampire countess. A woman will do anything to stay young. But drinking human blood. She believed human blood was the elixir of youth. Exactly. Do you know about her? Yes, I've read of her. She kidnapped young girls and kept them chained to give blood blood for her to bathe in and drink. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This film, out of all the films we've done from the 70s, which is quite a few at this point, <laughs> this was the most distinctly 70s film, all just because of the hair. I just looked at it and I was like, this is straight out of like an ABBA kind of music video. I was very into it. I was super into it. The whole vibe, he had to have hair like that to like, you know, be decade correct i mean it was also made during the decade they weren't like doing a period piece it's true a period <laughs> me i mean i i forgive it because that's just uh, maybe was considered handsome sometimes i worry that the fashion in all the 70s movies that we've covered is like so distracting for me that i don't even process the content like i do process it but i <laughs> i just love the film automatically and then don't critically think like my brain that part turns off the fit, the fit. The Monstrous Feminine is on Instagram, so please go leave us a comment or write us a little message. If you do engage with our content, you just might get a shout out in our next episode as our Witch of the Week. This episode, our Witch of the Week is Mikia, who left us a comment on our post for The Hunger that said, losing my mind over the number of bisexuals in one photo. We also lost our minds, and I think you will continue to lose your minds at the number of bisexuals in this episode and in photos <laughs> to come our gift to you enjoy we love photogenic bisexuals here we love all of them 
Friendly reminder, we're also on Patreon. For £1 a month, you gain access to our Discord. For £3 a month, you get to hear a cut discussion from our main episodes. And for £5, you get all of that, plus a bonus episode. Please support us. Any contribution helps. The guy grows up in America, and they're going to England. But he's not American, right? Yeah, he's not American. He's English. I think he's English, and he grew up in America. got a weird accent. And they're going to England to meet his mother after their wedding, which I presume she was not at. Sounds like they eloped. And they stop in France. So where did they get married? Well, Belgium. It did not seem like they were in love enough to elope, though. Why would the mother disapprove? I don't understand what. Well. I think she may have been in love with him. Yeah. Wait, the mother was in love with this. Hold on. No, but he had a very bizarre conversation with her. Like after the lady is like, yeah, there used to be someone who like drained young women's blood and bathed in it. He was like, this is arousing. And he called his mom. That was weird to me. I was like, okay, so she's jealous because they have some sort of bizarre, inappropriate Oedipal relationship going. Um, And she would be like jealous of his new bride. And then after he has that conversation, he goes and like beats his wife and has like sadomasochistic sex. I just accepted it as like all mothers-in-law are like that. That's where my my analysis started and stopped. Monster-in-law. Yeah, monster-in-law. Momster. I did not get this at the time, and maybe I'm super dumb for that. However, Bloody Disgusting and a website called Confluence of Cult, um, they identified Stefan's character as bi and said that the mother is not actually his mother, that's just what he told his bride, and that that's actually his older male lover, and he's just a repressed bisexual, and that's why he's beating her as well, because he's, like, just angry, basically, and repressed. That was a gross summary. They they expressed that better, but I've just given you a very gross paraphrasing. He could definitely be a biking without beating his wife after she told him that this lady preserved her youth by draining young women of their blood and he spoke to his mother. It was as if he was trying to gain his wife's blood in order to perhaps make his mother younger. She was more of like a placeholder for the relationship with his mother and at the thought that he could have a youthful mom to be with Taya. i mean he like went and <laughs> was fine with that her after, like shortly after and also the fact that he even found that situation around i mean he's a pervert no doubt yeah he just loves pain like he's a sadomasochist and he also kills the other girl in the movie yeah as in he's a bad guy for sure iona is that her name oh uh, she was so fit it's a very nice name very nice face sorry because that's all we saw of her. She was really just there for vibes, vibes and to die. The haircut, I love, I, I love, I love the like wig or the haircut. I love the red lip. Her lip, her makeup was great. No, yeah, definitely really iconic character. But like, why did she remind me of like a hot Igor? Like the way she was just a little minion. <laughs> Who's Igor? Like from like Frankenstein? No. Oh, <laughs> we went to Igor. I felt bad for her. Like she was like, you know. She wasn't forced to be there, but... I think she kind of was, right? Like, my under- my understanding was it that she was, like, under the Countess's spell. She kind of bewitches them when she seduces them, and then they can't say no. So she and she expressed multiple times, like, wanting to die, not wanting to be there, wanting to leave. <laughs> like, I don't think she... Yeah, but I don't know if that means anything. <laughs> <laughs> At first I thought the Countess was his mother, but then I thought that wouldn't make sense. You're really pushing this ancestral plot. I don't know what you're... I haven't... 
I don't understand. I want to understand it, but I don't understand. I don't. I, I mean, I'm struggling to understand, honestly, like anything other than the fact that he was a weirdo and he had a weird relationship with his mom. I think I missed all the relevant points to form any opinion. I think I've missed bits. Like, I don't remember him talking to his mom. <laughs> so, Mila, you don't remember what the mother figure looks like. We see the mom. Yeah, what the fuck, Mila? We see the mother. I don't remember seeing her, I don't her, remember though. seeing her, either. What? Did I watch, like, an uncut version? He finally calls his mom, but his mom is either, like I said, I don't know because it's not explained, but either a transgender woman and, like, he's raised by a transgender woman and that's his mother or a gender fluid man and that's where the interpretations that he's a bisexual and he's a bisexual that he's bisexual and he's sleeping with her okay there's a scene where he calls and he lies and he says i'm calling my mother or maybe he's not lying is what i think this is where the confusion is that louisa's interpretation and the interpretations that you've read is that like that is his mother and that isn't a lie but like perhaps part of the reason you can't introduce her to your mother is because it's this person on the phone. I would not have been gotten to that interpretation, Louisa, had you not said that like this is how other people are interpreting it, like at all. No, that makes more sense on why they would on why other people would have had that interpretation. Because I was like, did we have enough information to make this? That's kind of why I bought it that he might actually just be a kept man. And he's bisexual and he's sleeping with this kind of gender fluid person. Um, who we call his mother, just to pass Why it go off. get married then? I don't, I couldn't tell you. I'm not in Stefan's psyche. He wanted the illusion of having a straight relationship. Compet. Compet. But he is a bad man who doesn't get, who doesn't get nice things. So I think he should have fucked off then. I mean, he was trying to cheat on his wife though with Iona before he accidentally killed her. He was trying to cheat on his he wife. He did cheat on his wife. They fucked and then she killed her after. They were scissoring. They yeah, were scissoring. I was like, why are we scissoring? That's why I didn't know what was going on. I know. Can I introduce a controversial question with no opinion on it? Is this biphobic? Because the Countess also, like, the Countess has this line where she's like, I just, oh, I just want everyone to love me. That it's not even about, like, being attracted to people. Also, in The Hunger, there's this, there's a line about like, oh, I just need love from everybody, or like, I can't not be loved, or like, I just want. It almost seems like an attention hungry kind of impulse. Like, power to him. I love a power hungry character, an attention hungry character, but all of them are like villainous. <laughs> it's queer monstrosity. I don't think it's that controversial to suggest it's biphobic because pretty much everything is, especially for like going back decades. Yeah, yeah, this is 71. But that's like the free sex time. That's where I expect people to be pushing against those boundaries. I mean, okay, to be fair, Zeba, this is like quite progressive in what it shows given the fact and like what it does given the fact that it was 71. Let's get into it. We can. But the very fact that it's like we're in the era, I think, in, right now of like it's progressive to just like show it at the minute. But yes, I do think it is biphobic and its intention and i think it's the typical like queer monstrosity thing like we can have queer characters but they're gonna be the villain it feels like lustful in like in like a a gluttonous way like they just can't get enough in the same way that like vampires have this like like bottomless hunger that like can't be satiated or they like manipulate people into being with them forever like we i mean i've seen that in a lot of vampires at least in the hunger it makes sense because it has like the title the hunger this movie to me feels almost like daughters of darkness didn't suggest that i thought they were gonna be buddies (laughs) just gal pals 
No, not, I didn't mean buddies as in, like, no sex. Sorry, I meant, like, fuck buddies. Excuse me. I thought, like, her, the Countess, um, what's her name, Valerie and Iona might be, like, in a little cult together and it might be kind of, like, fun, queer, threesome sex. And then it just, like, didn't happen. And, like, Iona had to, like, had to sleep with a man <laughs> and then died. So, um, Creed talks about lesbian vampires. It's one of her points. It's one of her monstrous femmes. So lesbian vampire is basically like a super seductress. So as well as transforming her victims into blood-sucking creatures of the night, she does not necessarily destroy her victims. She also threatens to seduce daughters of the patriarchy away from their proper gender roles. That was a direct quote. And I think that's interesting because that is the exact role in this movie. Literally, she's like, I see some newlyweds. I'm going to go fuck their shit up and push some buttons and expose their weaknesses and fuck his wife. And I'm like, sure. Creed also says that like lesbian vampires are kind of gender bending subjects just in the sense that they seduce women and it makes them like a man. I mean, this is writing in the 80s. I know it's not the most. We're more fluid now. <laughs> but but I think like the point still stands that like, you know, she's a seductress. She's associated with, like, the abject status of blood and bloodletting. And also she, yeah, it's very sexual. Like, Creed basically says, and I'm not quoting here, but she basically says sucking on someone's neck is gay, therefore she's gay. Like, any le- female vampire is gay. Uh, and I'm like, true. Wait, is it not gay when men do it? I is absolutely gay when men do it. Oh, this movie kind of reminds me of that French film Belle du Jour that came out in 68. And in the movie, she is married, but she wants to like explore her sexuality. So she becomes an escort. But there's like um, graphic beating scenes and stuff within the movie. And I don't know, I feel like during like the late 60s and 70s, there was this movement to explore female sexuality in film, but almost through the lens of like, if you abandon like your marriage or explore your sexuality outside of a marriage then these are all the bad things that will happen to you by like scaring people with this vampire lore of who's threatening her marriage and kills her husband and turns her into a predator and then in Belle du Jour the extreme of making her be an escort and having her husband like almost die and this abusive man who's obsessed with her and there's a scene where she's like tied to a tree getting beat like at the beginning of the movie it's just all this bizarre like sadomasochistic stuff within the films i mean it is french fuck we love <laughs> especially because like in this movie i feel like her and her husband stefan's sexual relationship was completely from his angle and whatever he wanted to do and not what she wanted to do who knows what she wanted to do she wanted to have sex with ladies is this around the time that spousal rape started to get more attention in the news it's this feminist critique came up about um spousal rape in the 19th century from the 1950s up until the 70s I was a bit confused actually in that scene because I was like because obviously we just see him beating her horrifically with a belt she was not she did not start that situation naked she was clothed she was wearing a dress so I was I was surprised in the morning to see her like curled up in the fetal position naked and I was like oh they've had like he's raped her on a lighter note it reminded me of the shining just because of the kind of cabin fever element I felt like I mean in my mind He's always had these urges, but I feel like there was some element of like these urges are suddenly awakening because yeah, like he of was where they are being triggered and going crazy. Yes. 
And I was like, that's, it kind of gave me a little bit of cabin fever vibes in the sense, like, like shiny, uh, the shiny. And then, of course, the co- the color thing, like the colors, the gowns, the outfits, and also, like, the, just the kind of, um, like, architecture and design, like the, what is it called? Like, I guess just the design fixtures of the hotel reminded me of the kind of uh, Dario Argento's Suspiria. So I was like, this is interesting. But all of, both of these are after, um after this film so i wondered if this film was kind of the blueprint for some of those because it does seem like they're quite similar in a way that i couldn't ignore the thing that i think is really scary about the shining and is also scary about this is like i mean like domestic abuse is scary but like the thought of being trapped with a man who you thought you knew or whose temperament you thought you understood that's like devolving actually quite quickly the shining's a very long movie but he his like craziness happens quite quickly it would seem and like the urgency of that situation and not knowing like not not being in your familiar surroundings and like having to escape or the prospect of having to escape is like so stress inducing i think that's why like the shining is particularly like i think for me like very like grating on the nerves it's very visceral and this felt like that but i really thought she was gonna make it out i mean she does make it out but that first escape like when she comes and like gets her from the train station that was so devastating to me like something about it felt like such a betrayal of like i don't know like like yeah like the cult of womanhood like it felt so fucked up and like something that could definitely happen like not that people are just like agents of chaos but people are like sex traffickers like people prey on women trying to escape all the time who are women and i think that like those themes have been in a lot of horror movies where like a couple is at the center of it and the man is abusive did you think that you said he was triggered. Like, did you think that it was, like, the Countess's influence that triggered it? Because I... Or, like, a combination of everything. Because I thought he kind of was triggered, irrespective of the Countess. He fully saw that the... He saw that dead body or heard of the dead woman in town and was, like, fascinated. And she even says, like, you're getting pleasure from this. Like, what the hell? The director leaned into trying to make it erotic when it was something very violent. And all of it just looks so performative as well. But I do think all erotic thrillers are like at their essence violent i mean they're obviously horror films as well horror and sex is so intertwined i feel like i really don't enjoy erotic thrillers i never find them sexy enough or scary enough like more boobs more stabbing (laughs) yeah i kind of also i I like more when the like there's subtle sexual undertones and like perversion if you i would be interested if we could do an episode on like erotic horror that like we don't hate like, I feel like if we did some hunting, I, I, you know, at least two, at least two out of three could be like ones that we just find like seductive and not maybe like women directors, honestly, like if there's the female gaze applied to it, I don't think eroticism and horror has to be like the worst combo ever. In the case of like vampires, it does like in my mind, I'm like, okay, I love women. I love a little like mystery horror intensity. I love a little like eroticism or power play or that kind of thing is not is not inherently offensive to me but i think maybe it's just that there's always men involved i don't know the countess's mystery is used in a way that's like erotic and it doesn't feel like her character actually has any solidified traits other than to tempt valerie away from stefan and to ruin their marriage almost as if i saw like in your notes you put that they were using kind of like the lesbian vampire as a threat to the institution of marriage. The The movie itself doesn't necessarily portray Stefan's complete switch of personality and saying he doesn't love her and beating her and this 
rough sex that she's not consenting to as being any real problem in their marriage as if it's something that she should just accept and deal with and even when she tries to initially run from it she's brought back and the only person who actually helps her escape is like the countess and she only really escapes when he dies because even that was questionable so it kind of is presenting this intense male gaze in which the female characters in this film just don't feel like characters to me we as the viewer get to know Stefan a bit more we know he has this mysterious relationship with his mother and we know that he is aroused by hearing about violent acts against women and the murdering of the girl in town and the countess describing the previous countess lady draining blood out of women's bodies and that he's turned on by this violence but we don't actually find out anything about Valerie we just kind of see her from this like doe-eyed gaze of oh Stefan kind of sucks and I don't really want to be here and it's the same way that like Zeba said earlier that Iona's character pretty much feels like an Igor because she has nothing there it's just like she's just there <laughs> the women in this movie are just treated with such little thought or care they're literally just there to be looked at ever since Zeba you fucked me up that we all have a male gaze inside our heads you said that once and now I'm like what's the difference between a female gaze and a male gaze and sometimes I do struggle to like to think of it because I'm like what is the difference if you're like a queer person making content or whatever versus a male gaze but I think what you touched on is like the fact that yeah we don't know anything about the female characters maybe like there's not really too much difference in how the sex is shot or whatever but it's more about like the fact that you actually get a sense of interiority with the female characters that makes it more of a female gaze in terms of sex i feel like portrait of a lady on fire is shot from a female gaze the way that like in my mind i interpret the female gaze is the male gaze is like the woman is this object of pleasure that exists only in the camera for pleasure so whether it's like an awkward zoom up of her face if she's in a sex scene or a titty while she's changing or something there's something there that feels like scope of filling like voyeuristic of the female character being watched but not aware that she's being watched why the female gaze to me the pleasure if there is sex scenes in the film the pleasure is shot from like the lens of the female character enjoying it but not in a gratuitous or not way enjoying it feels it. like i think that's the other thing like the freedom to not be enjoying the positions that you find yourself in you're not just sitting there like as if you were fly on the wall watching that's really interesting <laughs> i never thought about that like a female's gaze sex scene would be more constructed in a way that's more inviting like you're actually involved as a viewer rather than you're just like a peeping tom we've talked about with um the love witch and cabin in the woods when you're satirizing the male gaze the male gaze as we understand it mainly from mulvey is like something scopophilic and voyeuristic and when we see people use that and like exaggerate it for satire i think in a way i find erotic thrillers i experience them in the same way as those satirical films because to me it feels so over the top and obviously that can go like down the camp route i don't really think there's a female gaze i feel like there is simply something that is against the male gaze and that could be female it could be queer i don't think there's such strict distinguishing lines between all of those gazes it's more just like something that's not the norm of the male gaze as like cinema is being created for the past like 100 years but like you said ty about like your idea of the female gaze as being something that's more you're involved in like seeing their pleasure and it's something that's more layered and like you see 
them as people enjoying themselves experiencing pleasure rather than just bodies like being objectified however i'm kind of in the opinion that objectification isn't always bad and sometimes a lot of our pleasure in sex is heart objectification but obviously that can't come in its entirety dehumanizing someone I knew you'd jump in at that point I knew you would say his hand is up but I'm like yep <laughs> no I know I know I, I think I don't know if it's a good thing but I think it is have become almost a necessary part of the erotic like generally in people's lives but also in media is that like we are so enveloped by this gaze now that there's no and shame i think because sex and shame have this like very close relationship to people i think for a lot of folks in order to like participate fully in sex there has to be some sort of objectification to distance yourself from like all the shame all the corners of the world telling you that this is not like a natural thing or like a thing you're supposed to be doing and and, in that in that case like okay We can go radically to the other side of things, which I think a lot of media in the 70s did, where we're like, oh, it's just free sex. It's just whatever. It's just anything. I think that's also distancing ourselves from it. To say that, like, (laughs) you you know, it's all free and there's no politics associated with who's having sex with whom and that there's no power dynamics associated with that and we can just have free sex, I think is also objectifying. Like, that. I think that's not true. Back to Taya's point that I think was so fascinating about the about the Countess being this like almost like cold, distant figure that makes her very powerful, at least in my mind, like I viewed her as a very powerful character. And I think I do find characters like that very powerful because they have no interiority to them. And I think that that is people's attempt at creating like a woman character who is able to be a a superior to the male gaze or above it. But that's really just because I think a lot of filmmakers don't have the skill to make that the kind of interior character necessary for somebody like that who's so powerful because there aren't a lot of women in the real world who are that powerful to model that interiority off of. And so like, in my mind, I'm like, I wouldn't even know how that would be demonstrated besides that we know fuck all about her. Like we have to know fuck all about her in order order for us to believe that she's more powerful than everybody, men included. So I don't know if it's like a good thing or a bad thing, but I understand the necessity of it, especially like in the era of filmmaking that it was in. I mean, we we continue to do that. We continue to have like women characters who are like these ice princesses who nobody can- Yeah, who you can't, you can't, you don't know what their motivation, and then maybe you have like a spin-off episode where you find out like they had a bad childhood or some shit, like like, like some some sort of like throwaway backstory that doesn't really explain anything. I love a throwaway bad childhood backstory. I'm like, you know what? No questions like answered, but sure. I feel like in that way, though, there's almost like in order for a female character to be seen as powerful in media or even to have like a high powering corporate job, they feel like there has to be an emotional castration of the female character because what has to be done in order for women to be powerful is to not have emotions. And in that way, it feels like it's like to cosplay men, an extension of (laughs) the male gaze in a way, because there's this idea of by seeing you don't care what happens to people if you don't see them as human so if you don't make any humanistic aspects of a powerful female character and you make them essentially just a void of this is every woman who's ever said no to you and she's so bitchy and she just needs to be tamed it just feels weird (laughs) and they do this in like rom-coms all the time even like that movie the The proposal Proposal with oh my god (laughs) with Ryan Reynolds and Sandra yeah, Bullock. 
And Betty White, <laughs> R.I.P. It's a good movie. But even in that movie, we see that trope of this woman who's an ice princess and is emotionally castrated and she needs this man to tame her and soften her so she can understand what it's like to be a woman who loves a man. And that's not actually really, (laughs) that's not actually really necessary. Even in those movies, they feel like the woman has to be like unbelievably sexy. Like it has to be someone who people view as incredibly attractive they would never put a woman in those movies and like sexy but somehow frigid at the same time like you don't believe she actually fucks like she's she's above it (laughs) oh wait mila what you were saying about like them cosplaying men and you think that like that is like what that is i mean people do that in real life like women who are like very powerful ceos like like they try and do they try and mimic what they think they see men doing but like the gag of it is is that like powerful men are also like suppressing their emotions and fucking suffering. The difference is in media is that we have so many portrayals of that of that inner battle within men of like of trying to remain powerful but like fighting their internal emotional selves. Like it's it's assumed that if women are in that same position that that's not the same internal struggle that they're going through. When they make a a rom-com or something along the lines of those movies or even Fifty Shades of Grey which is a great example because we were talking about that early in the horrible representation of BDSM. The woman is always in a subordinate position to the man where he has so much more power over her and her entire life can be dedicated to making him feel like your emotions matter. I love you my king. Like literally. (laughs) They always do that. She She can never be on par with him. They cannot have similar job titles or anything. I read an article that was really interesting in that we just have in media, mainstream media, cyclically, the same, usually brunette character. We see it in Twilight and then Fifty Shades, of course, because Fifty Shades is Twilight fanfic, so that won't make sense. But then also in, like, normal people. The same, like, meeky brunette who just would literally, like, just wants to lick boots. I have no other way to put it. Like, they're just so, like so down bad they're so keen to like give up anything for their man (laughs) save us stop it (laughs) no save us stop it (laughs) you mousy brunette i'm like sitting here realizing things (laughs) also going back to this film valerie is like this kind of character right like the only time she takes agency is when she like after the beating she like wakes up in the morning is like all right i'm gonna leave him and then the countess manages to manipulate her back also like the wife in the shining actually she's also quite like not empowered and not like a real character in that sense going back to what you said ty about how none of the women feel real she just feels like a mirror of like a projection of what Stefan would want in a wife, which is subservient, compliant, okay with his violent outbursts. And the, yeah, like I said, the only time I see her take agency is when she tries to leave. And then she's quickly seduced back. And then she's under the Countess's spell. So we don't actually really see her at any point that empowered because it's implied that the Countess is also this kind of manipulator who makes her subjects do bad things like Iona makes her sleep with a guy. Not that sleeping with a guy is bad. I just mean like she didn't want to. <laughs> she basically pimped her out. Timid subservient characters they are like obviously male fantasies of the ideal woman however you say they exist no i mean of course they exist i wouldn't say it's that unrealistic there's different reactions to the situation environment that you're living in i think that we grow up watching we've been talking about rom-coms all of this media that basically dictates how we should act as women what we should expect from men in relationships and it is always an unequal power balance and i feel like i don't know women are just playing their roles like I mean, we should obviously be critical, but also 
I don't know. I, I saw like someone on TikTok talk about like decorating your cage. Oh God, that was such discourse. That was such discourse on TikTok. Oh my God. A literal cage? No. I mean, not a, no, the metaphorical cage. cage of, I don't know, womanhood. There needs to be some sympathy for like how complex all of these behavioral things are. Obviously, if you're a victim of domestic abuse, you can respond to it any type of way. And sometimes playing the role would be the safest way. And I could I could totally see people like fawning as a like trauma response of like, okay, well, let me be sweet and doting. But I also think that in general, I th- I do have a point that she doesn't have a lot of interiority as a character, which is why that in combination to the doting. Even a little made- backstory would have helped. <laughs> some, some goddamn like, where's her family go? We also don't know where she's from, but we get this story that Stefan is raised in America, but he's a British man. He is. He's going back to England and da 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 da. And we're like, so who is she? By the end, do we like where she like ends up? Like in her character? She's reenacting the trauma that was inflicted on her by becoming a vampire and praying. Yeah, but I kind of live for it. It's bad, but I live for it. Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast and on Twitter at The Mon Femme Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on TikTok at The Monstrous Feminine Pod. Brooms up, which is out.